Welcome to Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, a podcast for and about women with chronic illness, autoimmune diseases and invisible disabilities. Here we share resources, accountability, knowledge and caring for each other in a way that brings hope to those who have felt a lack of value and worth due to the stigma and gaslighting around their illnesses. Let me get everything turned on here and we will get started. There we go. Okay. Hey, everybody. I am Nancy. I'm the founder and president of Invisible Warriors. One out of every two adult Americans lives with at least one chronic illness, often called an invisible illness. The disability community is the largest minority in the world, yet instead of feeling inclusive and wrapped in camaraderie, most of us feel alone, unvalued, and unworthy. We need doctors who understand us and colleagues and family members who believe us when we tell them something about our health. Just knowing the simple fact that we are not alone and still have much to offer can be life-changing. In this podcast, we share tips and strategies, knowledge and support, in other words, hope for those who are looking for resources to help them maintain a thriving, successful life. Do you have a chronic illness? Well, here at Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, we have conversations that share the tools and mindsets others use to make our lives better. It's always good to know that there are others out there that have dealt with similar challenges and our guest today is going to share with us his history and what he's learned along the way. Welcome, Glenn Williams. Nancy, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. I know it's been a while since our original conversation, but I know that you've got so much to offer and so much to share with people that let's get started. Okay. All right. Let me ask you first, how did we get connected and why did you think you would be a, a good person for me to have on my show? Well, got connected through an online podcast group and um, I am a supposed expert on a few things. And with what you describe your show, this was, a, I think, a perfect match. Uh, hidden disabilities are a huge part of my life. Um, I actually have two. And one of them I have dealt with since I was 15 years old. And the other one, which is where I put most of my work right now, is more recent than that. But you can't see them. And people assume when they can't see things that there's nothing wrong. Absolutely. That's, that's I think, one of my biggest frustrations. And one of the things that I deal with the most, even when I'm talking to disability experts, you know, they talk about someone being in a wheelchair and someone who's blind or, you know, these kinds of things. And those are very definitely serious disabilities and have a lot that needs to be addressed. But I think it's even more difficult for those of us who have these invisible disabilities yeah um people assume you're faking it and i've had a couple of experiences with that hit which has driven me well they've made me extremely angry let's put it that way um you know one i i actually 
the disabilities I have, let me describe what they are first. And they're fairly obvious once I say it, but I have type one diabetes, got that as a, a kid. And I was working around my house one day, just walking, working on some electrical stuff, switching some things. And my wife looked at me and said, um, say that again. And I said, what? And she says, say that again, you slurred a word. And when she told me to check my sugar, I found out my sugar was at 17. And I'm walking around doing electrical stuff. And most people are unconscious. So at that point, um, I realized I'd, um, I've now had diabetes for over 50 years, which I was told I would be lucky to live to be 40. And um, at that point, I couldn't feel when my sugars dropped. So I got a service dog and he lets me know. And he's always right dead on. And uh, one day I was walking into Costco and this lady kind of yells at me. She goes, is that a service dog? And I said, yeah. Why do you have a service dog? And I looked at her and I thought she was an employee. So I said, you realize that's illegal to ask me those questions. You can ask three questions, actually two questions. And would you like to know what those are? And she got angry again, yelled at me and then turned and walked away. And I, these people are just staring because she's yelling. And you know, the two questions are, is that a service animal? And what does he do? That's all you can ask. And uh, so I was, I fumed, fumed. <laughs> I mean, I just walked, was walking through the cash register, minding my own business and get accosted by somebody. And she was not an employee, just some, what's the term now? Karen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, some Karen. And I still, to this day, don't get what is, but I got to let it go. And I've had a couple of experiences like that because I am healthy. I take care of myself, but, but I, but you never know when something's yeah. gonna, there's always the possibility I could go unconscious. And I have had it happen a couple of times in my life. Yep. And, uh, fortunately I keep track of things. And like I say with my dog, when I have him with me, he lets me know beforehand and I can take care of stuff. And that's, that's why we got him. Yeah. Um, you know, the other we're, we're dealing with that right now, too. We've got a, a new service dog. We've had him for about three months and we're training him ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is he's amazing because he my I type two diabetes. But what my disability is that we have him for is I fall. Yeah. And, you know, where he he senses when I'm going to go over you know, and he runs up to me and he blocks my legs and I can't go down. He's right there and won't let me. And I'm going, we haven't even trained you on this yet. You know, how do you know these already? It's amazing. But I, but I know what you're saying because our biggest issues with him, we eat out a lot. And yep. we take him into the restaurants with us or when we're traveling, you know, he goes to the hotels with us. And it's, I, I'm dealing with this with the ADA because you're absolutely right. They cannot ask the questions. Once you say it's a service dog, it's game over. You well, know, they, they can ask what he does and that's yes. all they can ask. Yeah. But they can't tell you, no, you can't have them in there. They can't. Right. You know, and we were we were actually at a restaurant in D.C. the other night and we had taken him with us. 
And I have to give credit to this restaurant because they, in the end, actually handled it really, really well. But we walked in and I I always go in first. My husband drops me off right at the door so I don't have to use my wheelchair. I can just kind of hobble in. And he and the dog came in right after me after he had parked the car. And I said, there are two of us in a service dog. And the hostess is looking around and I said, oh, by the way, I'm not in my wheelchair. I can't walk far. I fall. That's what the service dog is for. She says, well, we're going to have to walk the whole restaurant so I can find the most out of the way place to put you where you're away from everyone. Because we don't want people getting upset because there's a dog here. And I went, well, number one, that's illegal. And I was just about as mad as you probably were with the lady. Yeah. I said, number one, that's illegal. You can't do that. You know, that's discrimination. And if you don't want to sit us up front where I can get to like that table right there, you know, we'll go somewhere else. Oh, no. So she put us at the table I had asked for. But then I called the manager over and I said, you know, this is a really good training event <laughs> for you to let your employees know they can't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he apologized and, you know, was just all over the place. He bought our meal for us. Oh, I wow. mean, it was just, he was really, really gracious. He took her aside right then and there and explained the, the whys and what fors and, you know, but I think long story to my question, I think at times people take advantage of the situation. They'll have a dog yes. and they want to take it with them. And so yes. that's my service dog because you don't have to have a vest. You don't have to have certification documentation. All you have to do is say, this is a service dog. Now, 99.9% .9 of the people are going to be honest, I think. Yeah, but I, there are those that try to take advantage of. I had a place in Florida and I had an experience with that because there's a lot of people that present their dogs as service animals and they're not. And you can always tell by the way they behave. Um, but I got turned away from a restaurant down there. And he says, well, you can sit out on the patio while it was raining. So 100% humidity, 90 degrees. And I looked in the, the restaurant's only half full nobody else is out on the patio. And he says, you can sit out on the patio. And I said, no, this is my service animal. It's illegal for you to refuse me entry. And he says, I don't care. And it took me two years, but I love Florida because they actually have a law that makes it number one, illegal to present an animal as a service animal if it's not. And number two, it's illegal to turn away a service animal. And so, because I called the Americans with Disabilities and they have no enforcement arm, they couldn't do anything. And luckily I did some research. And I found this uh, law that had been passed two years before. So I called the police department and said, I'd like to file charges. And they didn't even know about it. <laughs> and so I had to educate them. And then they called the attorneys and the attorney said, yeah, we can take that. <laughs> and in long story short, it took me two years but the guy got charged. Um, all I wanted to do was educate him yeah. and he would not listen. He told me he didn't care. Yeah. 
And so I let the state educate him with a $500 fine and he had to sit through a disabilities class. Um, and, and that's, you know, I didn't want him to spend in jail time, but hopefully he learned. I've never gone back to that restaurant because I don't know if they'll remember me and if they'll spit in my food or, you know, and have being a retired police officer, guess what? I, I'm always aware of those things. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's <clears throat> for people who have these invisible disabilities, it's, it's that much harder because we do go through these kinds of things. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk to somebody who's supposedly a disability expert and I'll say, well, what do you do in these cases where, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you have to take insulin, correct? Yes, I do. You have to keep it in the refrigerator. Yep. What if you were working and you needed to put that insulin into a refrigerator at work and you say to your, you know, to your boss, hey, is there someplace, you know, where I can put my insulin? And they say, no, we don't have a refrigerator. That's not what we're doing. You, you know, figure something else out. The accessibility and the, and those kinds of things, nobody, I was taking a class and the class was making us measure um, the height of sinks in bathrooms, in restaurants, and public buildings to make sure that wheelchairs could get underneath the oh. sink. But when you brought up the issue of, well, you know, I, I have migraines. Do you have some place I can go where it's dark and quiet where I can sit and get rid of this migraine? I need a refrigerator for my insulin. Is there some, you know, they, they look at you like you're totally out of your mind. And it's the same thing as with these restaurants that say, you know, that's a dog. You can't have a dog. And it's, it's really interesting because when we go into all the different restaurants with the dog, most of the time, everybody wants to pet him. You know, they want to know what kind he is. They want, you know, they want to love on him and all this. And then you get somebody who's sitting there glowering at you, yeah. you know, because you've got a dog in there. And most of the time, unless he gets scared or something. He just crawls right under the table and people don't even know he's there. Exactly. Yeah. I actually had uh, just the other day, I'm trying to remember where it was now, but I walked in with my dog and I sat at a table and he crawled under the table like he's trained to do. And somebody a couple of tables over got up and left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that they went all the way across the room and I don't know, maybe they have an allergy. I don't know. I can't be judgment, but it, the look on their face appeared like they don't like dogs and uh, there could be a hundred reasons and I don't want to be judged. So I'm not going to be judgmental either. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was uh, odd to me because like I say most people, Oh yeah. You know, it's hard keeping them away. Yeah. I know that you're not, a lawyer you are you understand the law obviously and and all of that but i've been approached several times hotels restaurants going back to the to the service dog and it's it's interesting that florida's got this law that says you cannot you know uh, say it's a service dog when it's not how do people go about in your knowledge, how do people go about dealing with that law? Well, like say the police department didn't even know about that law until I called them. 
And then I have say, to say there's somebody say there's somebody that's that's saying they've got a service dog and you know darn well it's not, but you can't get to that information because you can't ask them anything. Well, you can judge the behavior of the animal. And if it's not a service animal, it's not going to behave properly. Um, people bring their little pets in and put them up on the on the on the uh, bench on a restaurant or on a seat. That's not a service animal because that's not what you do with a service animal. And so then you can you can look at the behavior and go, OK, yeah, that's not a service animal. Thank you for your time. Have a nice day. And what does someone that runs a restaurant or a hotel, if if like we were in D.C., there was no there's no such law like that. There's nothing they can do then, is there? No, there's not. If they're if the animal's well behaved and is acting like a service animal, you really can't tell. But if they're not, if, if they're, they're not like I've seen people with their dog in their grocery cart at the grocery store not a service animal um, i've seen them carrying the dog in their arms not a service animal um, I, i've seen them um you know like my dog i have him trained and i have to work him so he doesn't shake until he's outside the restaurant because people don't want hair in their food and i'm going to be respectful of that so if you hold their head up the dog can't shake so i know it and then i get him outside i tell him shake let his head down and then he shakes outside um, you know, those are things that you look for um, that most people don't even think of. Um, my dog, the, the best compliment you can have is, oh, I didn't even know he was here. Thank you. There you go. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the ones I, I get tired. I see these online all the time. Take your pet anywhere. And they get you cert certified as a um, emotional support animal, which are important, but not when not it's just the same thing. Yeah, it's not the same thing. And that's why they're not allowed on airplanes anymore um, because they were misbehaving. I've had other dogs come and uh, try to attack my dog. And, you know, those had that happened in this hotel the other day. It was a huge big and I love pits. I, they, they've, they've got a bad reputation and usually undeserved. I, I have a cousin who has a pit and, you know, just the sweetest thing possible. This pit was not. <laughs> and we were walking through the, you know, the lobby of the hotel. And this guy comes in and, and he looks like he's this big biker dude, you know, with all the, and, and he's got this pit on a leash, and, you know, and they're pulling him and, and all of this. And the minute he saw my dog, he just went crazy. Ooh. And that he's pulling. And so then, of course, my dog and I'm going, oh, please, I'm so embarrassed. Please don't do this. You yeah, know? yeah. But he went back at the at the pit and they're going and I go, oh, we're going to have mass murder here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And, you know, so we're going around after that dog left. We're going around. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> Yeah, my dog wants to say hi to everybody. That's his weakness. Everybody, and he, he even tried to say hi to the bomb dog at the airport the, a while back. And so it's like, I'm working extra hard now on that. <laughs> yeah, well, lawyers the same way. And, we, you know, people will come up to him and say, well, he's working. You know, we really, oh, but he's so sweet. He's just, and so my husband goes, oh, all right, give him a pet. You know, and so oh. then. <laughs> I was, I did a book signing in Phoenix or Tucson the other day, 
and the late this lady came up and we just barely got in there and she wanted to pet my dog and I let her um big mistake because now he wanted to be petted by everybody that walked up and so yeah it's and it's really hard to say no to kids yeah 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 that yeah. that happened and and I was the one holding the dog the other day and this little kid comes up and says can I pet him and I go no I'm so sorry he's working and I tried to explain what that meant to have a working dog you know and I'm telling him about me and how the dog helps me and all this and the kid's going crying because I wouldn't let him pet. Uh, but good for you because it's not fair to the dog either and it's not fair to you no. um and that's yeah that's why it's so hard um but i actually have do not pet on my dog you know his harness or his vest and stuff people ignore that though <laughs> and you know they try to, they distract him and if their dog is distracted it makes it hard for him to do his job which is to protect you and me yeah, absolutely. It's it's really I think this is a, a, a very, very interesting um, section of the ADA and of the whole um, legal system that is there for disabilities, because, you know, I've like I said, we're just training ours. He's a seven month old puppy and oh, yeah. he's. But he's already over 60 pounds and as high as a horse, you know, he's huge. Yeah. And people don't see him as being a puppy. Yeah. And, you know, so that's that's hard on the one hand, but it's just there's there's so many questions that people don't understand. And, you know, it's it's we need to educate. But then you go to the ADA side of it and the ADA says, well, there's nothing we can do. We can't, you know. We can't control it. We can't we can't enforce it. And then you go, well, what's the use? You know, so people just ignore it. And yeah. But with with my guy, I don't know how he's done it because we haven't we haven't trained him, but he can open doors. He can pick up items and bring them to me, which is what we want him to do. He has stopped me from falling at least six times. Yeah. You know, and and this is all just on his own. His his training so far has just been puppy training, you know, and, and just starting out with the whole service dog aspects but we take him into a store in the grocery store we stop to look at something he's lays down on the floor and just you know there goes you go. and says wake me up when you're ready to go <laughs> you know yeah yeah and and they're they're too smart for their own good sometimes <laughs> but thank goodness they are yeah mine you know he he does the same thing he paused me if I'm going low on one side, pause my other side of my body if I'm going high on my sugar level. And then I've uh, just trained him in, in the process of training him. He, he'll fetch. I don't want him to hear me say that. <laughs> but um, but I'm working on where if I need some sugar, I can say fetch sugar and he'll go get it for me or fetch my um, fetch medicine. He'll go get my insulin for me. Those yeah, are yeah. things that we're working on now. Yeah, and he, I, he's, he's five now, but you know, it, the first two years was pretty much full-time job training him. And I, so you him, did the training yourself as well under the tutelage of a trainer. Mm -hmm. um, we, we would uh, zoom call once a week 
and she would the whole litter would zoom in and she would give us an assignment show us how to do it oh. and demonstrate I need her, her name <laughs> oh she is so good i need her um, name <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to get it for you um but um yeah so then the next week we would go and she would ha have us show her what we did that week and so we worked probably two to four hours a day with our dogs mm -hmm. and that was the first two years and now it's just a matter of by doing it yourself here's the difference too now when i see him stretching limits because they will they're like kids they'll push the limit then i can rein him back in i know how to do it and i've seen other companies that send fully trained dogs out to people who have no clue how to handle a dog and the dog then they end up getting complaints because the dogs start misbehaving and the people yeah. don't know how to deal with it so yeah. by doing it yourself with the tutelage of a legitimate trainer or if you know how to do it then it builds that bond with your dog like he's actually i've been 300 miles away i i teach um, a firearms course so i can't take him with me on the on the range and my wife texted me a message and he, she says your dog said your pup says you're low check your sugar and he was right from 300 miles away that's the kind of bond that we have and that came through me training him that's really really interesting and i i just think that's so amazing and you know i i thought at first it might be kind of confusing for for lawyer but he really works with both my husband and i and he knows when i need something he knows when ed needs something and and it's two totally different issues you know but yeah he, he's the same way my wife and he and i were the pack Mm -hmm. And if one of us is missing, he he notices and he's always trying to like he'll, he'll let her know when something's wrong or she has arthritis and um, he'll go curl up on whatever hurting that day. Mm -hmm. and, and he's not little. He's 65, no, 70 pounds lab. Yeah. But he just knows. And and lawyer, you know, we'll go into a hotel, never been there before. I'll go in, I'll be in the room, they're unpacking and all that. And and we'll say, find mama. And he will go directly to my room and sit down outside the door. He opens doors. I mean, it's it's really amazing what you know what they can do. And you're right, they're too smart for their own good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you. But um there was, let's shift gears a little okay. bit. Um, there was an, I'd love your opinion on this. There was an article uh, in LinkedIn that I read a few weeks ago that was talking about a gentleman who had been in the military. He had lost an arm or a leg or something. I'm not, I don't remember what it was, but he had, you know, the prosthesis. And he was parked, he parked in a handicap spot. And he's getting out of the car and somebody comes up to him and said, I'm so glad that spot was there for you. You know, that that somebody else hadn't taken it. You know, you, you obviously need that spot. And he looked at the person saying that and he says, well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much. But I'm not parked here because of this. I'm parked here because I have type 1 diabetes. And I never know when I'm going to crash and I need to be as close as I can possibly get to the doorway of the grocery store or the mall or whatever it was so that I can get in and get some sugar or something. 
And they looked at him like he was totally out of his mind and went, well, <laughs> you know, and turned and walked away. What can we do as people with these invisible disabilities so that we don't get those kinds of attitudes? That's an, oh, that is such a good question because I... I have done a lot of things. In fact, my the next book I'm working on is about growing up and growing old with diabetes. I call it a sweet life. I'm about halfway through the first draft. I love it. Because I've had a sweet life. And I've done things that most people, quote unquote, normal people will never, ever do. And I've done them well. Um, and so it's something I've lived with. For many, many years, I hid it. I didn't want people to know. And you know but it was it's not something you can always hide i was highly competitive i was an athlete um playing in the middle of a game sugars drop i got to get some sugar and people don't understand i need sugar now get me sugar you know but but i let the people that were close to me know and they helped me take care of that you know my sisters remember one time when i was in high school um they were in a track meet and I was playing in a baseball game on the field next to the track. And all of a sudden they saw my girlfriend running towards the school and they knew, okay, Glenn sugar's dropped. She's going to go get him something and, you know, but he's okay. Um, yeah. And it's like the, the store, the gal at the store that yelled at me for having a service dog um, because I have him for my diabetes. And I'm, I'm not afraid to tell people that now in the past, I, I would say, yeah, or they, they asked me, are you training him? Well, yeah, I am training him, but he's my dog. And uh, they get that funny look on their face, like, why? Um, basically, all we can do is be open about it. You know, I'm not afraid to tell people anymore. Um, I, I have diabetes. I also have PTSD. And I have, and I'm not afraid to talk about it. And that's one of the things about open, honest communication. I had part of the creation of my PTSD was I never talked about it. Yep. And I never talked about how many of the things that I saw um, that were affecting me, how they affected me or how I felt about them. Um, so the biggest thing is just like the guy says, well, I actually have him for my diabetes, or he could have just said, thank you very much and walked on. I mean, it depends on how much of a hassle you want, because mm -hmm. some people get real offensive. And um, you know, like the gal I was mentioned at, at the Costco store. She didn't know me. She didn't have a clue. And yet she's yelling at me because I have a service dog. Are you kidding me? And I think that's I think that's the issue that I'm trying to get at is there are and I don't have statistics for general, but there are like 133 million women in the United States, as close as we can get to an accurate count. And uh, we're actually doing a survey right now with my organization that's trying to get people with chronic illnesses to answer the survey so we get a better count. Yeah. But the American Medical Association says one out of every two people in the United States today has one some form of chronic illness or autoimmune. Wow. It's amazing, but it's the largest minority in the world that nobody knows anything about. Yeah, yeah. And nobody talks about. And you're exactly right. Nobody talks about it. 
people are ashamed to say there's something wrong with them, you know, that they, that they feel um, answers I'm getting on the survey is they, I, we feel broken. We feel, you know, stigmatized. We feel like we can't be ourselves because, and, and everybody I tell about my car accident says, Oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I'm going, don't be, if I had not had that car accident, I would not be here today. I would not be doing these podcasts. I would not be running this nonprofit. I would not be getting ready to have this major concert to help other people. So I think the biggest challenge that we as people who have these hidden disabilities, I'm throwing out is that we've got to talk about it. We've got to share it. We've got to let other people know. And that's the point of this podcast is, you know, people don't need to be ashamed of having something different. That Oh, I love that because it goes back to self-accountability. Who is holding them back? They are. Mm-hmm. And by holding themselves back, they're limiting the things that they can do with their lives. That's kind of the mess, part of the message of the book I'm writing, um, is they're limiting themselves. And by limiting themselves, they're holding back their perfection. There's no such thing as perfect. They're tough people because they're dealing with a disability. And they're dealing with it on their own, isolated. You know what? The more help we have among other people, the easier it is for all of us. So, yes, we get to be open, honest, talk about it. Look, I'm normal. No, I'm not. I have diabetes, but guess what? I can do it as good as you do. That's right. And and those are all things that we get to do. So by holding ourselves back, that's uh, I talk about that a lot um, in one of my talks, is uh, self-accountability. Who's holding you back? And I discovered this when I was publishing my first book. It was me that was holding me back. I had it ready. All I had was two pages. This is in, I, 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 the publisher wanted my book in November. I did the submission paperwork. And in February, all I had was about 20 minutes worth of work. But I, my mind kept telling me, oh, it's not good enough. It's not ready. It's not good enough. Those little and, voices. <laughs> yeah. And they're trying to protect me from being rejected. Well, finally, in November, nine months later, I woke up one morning and I said, I'm going to write that and finish it today. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Because it takes your mind five seconds to come up with an objection why something won't work. I went down, typed it up, hit send, and that was on a Thursday. On Friday, I got a call. Thank you. We got your submission. Um, I'd like to speak with you in person on a Zoom call um, about this. And we set it up for the next Wednesday because I was working for four days straight. On Wednesday, I had my Zoom call with the publisher. He says, you explain the whole process. He says, I'm going to send you a sample contract in case they do accept your book. By the way, they look at them on Thursdays. Um, and so we'll let you know. I, I'm at home on Friday, um, working in my garage, didn't have my phone. I got back in um, to the house. I looked at my phone. I had a message from the publisher. And it says, congratulations, I'm going to send you a real contract. They accepted okay, your yes, book. And I delayed myself by a year because of internal fear. Same thing with the disability. I don't want people to know. They'll just think something's wrong with me. No, nothing is wrong with us. Mm-hmm. If I did it and it was my own choice to have this, then there's something might be wrong. But because of it, I am much stronger and tougher than I would have been. I plan better. 
I have to keep track of things all the time, which that's not my forte. I mean, yeah. if you look at my desk, you can't even see it. It's organized mayhem. <laughs> yeah. That's that's who I am. Um, but it works for me. And so I'm learning to I've learned this. And so now I've actually talked to people and I say, yeah, I've got diabetes. I'm not afraid of it. Um, and I'm just grateful for the technology today because that's going to allow me to live to be 95 just to prove them wrong and piss them off. Amen to that. There was a there was a post on, on LinkedIn this morning that was talking about um, don't let, you know, the don't let other people shame you. Don't let other people this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other thing. And I wrote as a comment back on that post, I went, but you're forgetting the most important piece of this whole thing. Sure, other people can badmouth you, they can shame you, they can whatever, you you totally ignore that. But the most important thing is don't let yourself do the shaming and the badmouthing, you know, um, make sure that you see your blessings and that you look at the things you can do. There are a lot of things that I never could have done prior to this, like the podcast, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, I'm doing things now that if I hadn't been put into this situation, I never would have done. And so I, I see myself as being blessed by all of this, not cursed. And exactly. I think that's important. Oh, exactly. Um, that, uh, you and I are peas in a pod on that one um, <laughs> because I, I have, I have done a lot of different things and because of the disability specifically PTSD, I travel around and I speak to people. I talk about it openly because that's the only way to work through these things. Yeah. Honestly, um, I let them know when I do activities. Um, I've taught scuba diving for many, many years and became one of the top instructors in the country. Um, even though I was told I would never be able to dive because I have diabetes. So, I mean, I've been disqualified from jobs. Um, 1990 from the federal government, they could do it in 1990. But those are all things Then I went on to become a, a different version of what it was but still doing what I wanted to do. And, and you're having I, a thriving life now, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. My, my life since I actually, so I'm busier now that I retired yeah. than I did than I was when I was working four jobs and raising a family. Yeah. <laughs> now I know that um, some of my listeners are probably saying, yes, but when you have diabetes, you don't hurt. Yes, but when you have diabetes, you don't, you know, things like that. Whereas me with my RSD, it's listed as one of the most painful nerve damage, yeah. you know, diseases there is. And my pain level is normally at a, out of 10, it's normally a 25, <laughs> you know, but you can still say, okay, after I got back home this weekend from DC, I stayed in bed all day long on Sunday yep. and I recuperated. Yeah, I'm here. I'm doing it. I'm back. I'm doing the things I want. I'm loving what I'm doing. And just because we have challenges doesn't mean that we can't have a thriving, successful oh, life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, 
yeah, if my sugar gets too high, yeah, I have the pain. Mm -hmm. Ketoacidosis. I had my first serious bout with it last year. Mm -hmm. You know, and I probably had it in the past, but didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, that one, I don't ever want that again. No, and but you made it through. Yeah, I got through and I get frustrated because um, there's so many self-limiting behaviors and we're kind of raised that way. Mm -hmm. We're not raised to say, hey, I'm good. I'm good at what I do. We're raised to say, oh, no, thank you for the, no, nah, it was nothing. It was nothing. We downplay everything. That's how we are taught. At least that's mm -hmm. how I was taught. Mm -hmm. and, and it's okay to say, you know what? I'm really good at that. I discovered I'm a good writer. I never dreamed of writing a book, but I have. Yeah. Yep. And and I'm I'm good. Um, and so it's okay for, for me to say that. I also can say I'm a good trainer and a good speaker because I have had success in that and I enjoy it. And it's a passion of mine. Yeah. And that's the thing, is we get to get rid of the self-limiting behaviors. Because I remember in high school going through a speech class, man, I, I was horrible. <laughs> I couldn't, I was scared to death. And now it's like, okay, no big deal. Um, I know. It's it's amazing. You know, Glenn, I could talk to you forever, but I just looked at the clock and we have gone way over what we're supposed to allocate for this. And so maybe you'd be gracious enough to come back on and talk again another time and we can get some more things discussed because this is all absolutely fascinating. And I really appreciate your, your taking the time out to talk with me. But do you have something that we haven't discussed that you really feel needs to be brought to the surface? I, um, I think that maybe we'll have to do that on another time, but um, I know the, the disability right now that I am really focusing on is PTSD. Um, I allowed it to pretty much the behaviors I displayed from it destroyed my life. And yet I spent time alone, reconstructed me. And that was where I now am able to thrive because of that. I have a wonderful relationship that um, now with a beautiful lady, open, honest communication is number one. Communication is number one in everything and being open and honest about it. And that is um, what I talk about mostly now, although I, when I'm given the opportunity, I talk about the diabetes, um, but just- I know, I, I've got so a little bit of that PTSD too. And my husband was in the Marine Corps for 23 years and was also, was a, an EMT and a paramedic and the things he's seen out on the roads, you know, were just so he, and he's now an ordained minister and he focuses on helping vets with PTSD. So yeah. it's, it's something that needs to be addressed and we will get back on. Yeah. And you, we can heal the world, but we heal it one person at a time and we have to start with ourself. Absolutely. So get rid of the limiting beliefs. You can do whatever you want to do. And I love it. Message. And that's, that's a wonderful place to end. Now, I know you've got your book. Uh, the link to that will be in the show notes so that people can reach out and buy it if they want to. Um, Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Guys, you've been listening to Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly. If you haven't already, please give us a quick review on iTunes. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
to wrap things up, often after a podcast, people want to know more about some of the things that we do at Invisible Warriors. If you'd like to hop on a Zoom, my contact info is also in the show notes. And right now we are working on our benefit concert that's going to be in June. We will be live streaming it so people can see it from all over. It's called Silent No More, a celebration of hope and caring. And it's going to be absolutely an incredible night. So consider coming to that. You know, thank you all again for tuning in and listening to today's conversation. See you next week, same time and same place. Thank y'all. That's it for today, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Today's podcast has been brought to you by the Invisible Warriors Club, a program of Invisible Warriors. They see how hard life is for these women and hate that the world doesn't seem to understand that these diseases slash disabilities are serious, life-changing challenges which bring about poor medical treatment, high and unrealistic medical bills, lack of ability to sustain working conditions and loss of family cohesiveness. Through advocacy and programs, this organization extends a nurturing hand, fostering both awareness in the community and individual growth amidst adversities. Join them by heading over to the Invisible Warriors website for more information on how to join the club.